This morning we are in Ecclesiastes 8, and we'll be focusing on verses 1 through 8. Uh, those, that, those verses are on page 476 in the Bibles located in, just in front of you there in the pews. Or feel free to go ahead and tap there where we'll be this morning. First of all, though, I want to start with a story about my family. So it was August of 2006, and Michelle and I had been married just over two years, and we had purchased our first home, and we were really excited about it. We were getting things ready to move, but before we did, I was able to talk Michelle into taking a road trip to watch a brand new, highly touted Cincinnati Reds pitching prospect make his double-A debut in Chattanooga, Tennessee. If you don't know this about me yet, I am a huge baseball nerd, and I'm going to nerd out for just a few seconds here. Uh, Just two years prior, in 2004, the Reds took a phenom pitcher from Texas in the first round of the new player draft, and he was billed as the savior to the franchise. And fans in Cincinnati were just waiting for him to take his rightful place on the Great American Ballpark Mound to bring our beloved Cincinnati Reds to prominence and lead our city, of course, to multiple World Series titles. And I just wanted to be able to say that I saw him while he was pitching in the minors, you know, just for the novelty of it. I mentioned it was August right? And do you know how hot it is in Chattanooga in August? It's so hot that the chickens lay omelets. That's for those of you who enjoy corny jokes. So, Um, I would also like to mention that Michelle, my wife, was pregnant with our first daughter, Izzy. Seven months pregnant with our first daughter. So I decided to take my pregnant wife to the deep south in August just to watch Homer Bailey pitch in a minor league baseball game. Look, at the time, guys, he was supposed to be the next Tom Seaver, okay? This year, he's 1 in 15. I get it, all right? So within a few weeks after this trip, well, let me say this. We went down. We watched him pitch. It was 110 degrees. We left early. It was an afternoon game. We got a hotel. We spent the night. We drove back the next day. Within a few weeks after this trip, We uh, moved into our new place in Bellevue, Kentucky, and we were hustling to make everything perfect because Izzy was on her way. We had two months to prepare for this, and we were just doing all of the things that are necessary to welcome a new child into the home. The room was painted. The carpet was cleaned. I put the crib together with the care of diffusing a bomb. The bed was made. The cats were quarantined. We had these two cats. The cats were quarantined from the room because you don't want cats jumping in the crib, of course. And everything was ready. Then I was laying on the bed one day, and I heard the meowing of tiny kitties from underneath my bed. And I looked under the bed, and I'd forgotten that one of our cats had escaped before we moved. And when we brought her into the house, she'd become pregnant, and she had these kitties. So now we have 10 kitties in the house. (laughs) And my job was to get rid of these kittens. I had two months to do that. The week that you can do this is about week eight. Izzy's coming. I have to get rid of these cats. The first day I could put these cats on Craigslist, that's what I did. And we got rid of them in less than a week. At the time, it felt like a minor miracle. We go to the hospital. Izzy is born on October 4th, 2006. We get her home, and everything's perfect. 
Or at least it was how we felt like things were supposed to be. Uh, And then within a few days, everything changed. The time was midnight, and the baby was awake. Michelle and Izzy were on the bed, and I was sitting at the computer, probably nerding out on more baseball stuff. Michelle noticed a tiny, translucent insect run across the comforter, and she said, Seth, come get this. And I did. But I had some concerns. So I placed the bug in a Ziploc baggie, and I headed back to the internet to do some research, and it took me about a half an hour, and once I made my discovery, I got up from the computer with my head down, and I walked over to Michelle and Izzy at the bed, and I looked at them, and I said, babe, you're not going to like this, and this is going to be expensive, but everything is going to be okay. I went and I grabbed a sweeper, and uh, had Michelle pull back the mattress from the box spring and underneath, sorry for the squeamish, there was a colony of bed bugs underneath our mattress. So I swept up as many as I could into the sweeper. The next day, uh, we went down, we slept on the couch. We better get used to that. The next day, I called our local pest removal service. They came down and checked things out. They gave us a few options, and they were pretty certain that we could uh, save our furniture, so that's the option that we chose. And uh, However, that option required everybody to move downstairs into the living room for the next two months. So the first two months of Izzy's life were spent (laughs) in maybe a 13 by 10 box in the lower house of our brand new home in Bellevue, Kentucky. So much for a perfect homecoming for our baby girl. Uh, And how exactly did the bed bugs make it into our house? Called and confirmed from a hotel room in Chattanooga, Tennessee. (laughs) So, the reason I tell this story is because we can't change anything that happened. We didn't know what was going to happen But there was literally nothing we could do about this situation. Uh, The word that best describes how we felt when all of this was going on was helpless. And ultimately, all of our problems ended up having solutions. But in the middle of trying to create this ideal situation for our new daughter to come home to, we felt like it was unmanageable and that things were never going to get better. It's natural to want to plan things that we deem important. We want to plan for the future in the best way that we know how. Some would even say that it's human nature to do, those, to do those things. But sometimes even the best laid plans go awry. This causes me to ask a question. And it's how do we respond to disappointment when things don't go the way we want them to go? And I think our passage today from Ecclesiastes gives us some clues on how we can start to answer this question. So if you're there already, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, and it's really kind of a summary of the first six chapters of this book. But here we go. It says this, How wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. Obey the king. 
since you vowed to God that you would. Don't try to avoid doing your duty, and don't stand with those who plot evil, for the king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. Those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right, for there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. Indeed, how can people avoid what they don't know is going to happen? None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. And in the face of death, wickedness certainly will, res- will not rescue the wicked. So there's some good stuff in here. And the first thing I want to talk about is the king. Here, we can assume that the king being talked about in this passage is an earthly king. Specifically, this passage is referring to the king of Israel. You might know this already, but Israel didn't always have a king. Before Saul, David, and Solomon came around, Israel was guided by this group of judges who kept the law and kept things in order. Um, However, Israel continued to cry out to God for a king who would lead them. God answered this by telling his people that if in fact they did have a king, that they were obliged to obey his commands and follow his leadership. The first part of this passage is a reference to that commitment. And the writer here is also keen to interject interject just how powerful the king is by saying his command is backed by great power. The writer is reminding Israel of the fact that they asked for this, and their duty was to trust in and follow the leadership of God's appointed king. It kind of feels a bit like a power play, if you're reading it that way. That's how I read it, where he's just kind of like, hey, just want to remind you, this was your idea. The king is powerful, so you better do what he says, okay? Uh, Let's talk some more about God for a second and how he relates to some of this king talk. First, I would like to reiterate, in this passage, we can see how the writer is again, reiterating the overwhelming power of God. No one can challenge him and win. He's sovereign. He's the creator, and he's the author of life, the beginning and the end. And next, something that really sticks out to me is this verse that says, no one can resist or question it. But that's what we do, right? That's what I do in times of trouble, those kind of things. It's hard sometimes. And for me, anyway, it might be because of how we read or how the next verse has been interpreted to us over the years and says, those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. When you hear these things start to come together about power and punishment, I think that sometimes we hear that and we think of the Lord in a very punitive sort of way. Um, Sort of like this, if you don't do what the big scary man in the sky says, he's going to make sure something very bad happens to you. But look what happens when we keep reading. Those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find time and a way to do what is right. For there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. That's the good stuff, I think. The Lord loves us. And when I read that passage, that's what I hear. He wants what's best for us. It's right there in the text. Instead of thinking of the Lord as the boogeyman in the sky, what if we trusted 
his infinite wisdom. Because remember, it also says at the beginning of this passage, how wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. There's no better way to become wise than to listen to what God might be saying to us and interpret it through a right perspective on who he is. What if when things start to go bad, we drop to our knees instead of throwing our arms to the sky to say, ah, I can't do this. This passage also reminds us to obey the king. Jesus clues us in on how to best do this. And Jesus is very clear about how we can gain the king's favor. John 15.10, the second week in a row we've used this passage, but it's good and it applies. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. For those of us who believe in what Jesus had to say when he came here and walked the earth, who is our king? Jesus is our king. And what, are, what exactly are the king's commandments? Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And then further on in the gospel in Matthew, verses 22, 37 through 40 say this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The king, his commandments, and his infinite wisdom, power, and authority gives us very simple instructions on what to do. So I don't know if I can accurately express how frustrating it was to find these bed bugs in the house. I mean, we had literally been in this house for eight to ten weeks, and my initial reaction to the fact that we had bed bugs was that I needed to find a safe way uh, to burn the house down. Um, Or maybe we could just throw everything out and start new, right? That's what I really wanted to do. Uh, But of course, the burn it to the ground philosophy isn't always the best uh, perspective to have. (laughs) Might never be the best perspective to have uh, because it doesn't lend credence to the fact that the Lord is who he says he is. But chaos took over in this situation and we were just over it. So that's where we went. But the truth is a a right response to chaos is not to play into the fear associated with it, but rather to be vulnerable, admit our brokenness, and ask the Lord to step in on our behalf. We wanted to run away. Chaos took over, and we just wanted to get out. Our goal of creating a perfect situation for our firstborn child to come home to was the thing that ended up going down in a towering inferno. My plans, fueled by worry, fear, and doubt, were thwarted. And I realize now, and I continue realizing, that the goal is not to be perfect. It's unattainable and it sucks the joy out of life. That was the fallacy in this whole bed bug ordeal. And it was an important lesson for me to learn. So there's this other lesson from the text that I think can be helpful. Ecclesiastes 8.15 says this, So I recommend having fun, 
Because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way, they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. When I read this, I hear a reminder that I don't need to worry all the time. And in fact, that I shouldn't worry all the time. I think Jesus refines this concept when he's teaching after the parable of the rich fool in the Gospel of Luke. And he's able to take these concepts that we read in Ecclesiastes and make some sense of them as it pertains to obeying the king and seeking the kingdom. Let's look at Luke 12, 25 through 31. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he certainly will care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. Ouch. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So here's this. I don't want to be the type of person who gets up here and gives easy solutions to complex problems. I know sometimes teachers, preachers, people who get up here have a tendency to make it sound like it's just so easy to trust God and to pray about things. I get it. I've been there too. Today, I'm talking about kitties and bedbugs. <laughs> I'm not talking about a myriad of other issues that are far complex. We've had other setbacks, job losses, family deaths, a miscarriage, and the list can go on and on forever. We're lucky enough, of course, to live in an age where a lot of us have access to good health care, counseling services, and as much as I believe that God has given us a good plan to seek him first, I also believe he's given us minds to think about ways to help make our own lives better. Having a good network of close friends and seeking help in the form of counseling when you might need it are admirable things that assist in providing and helping help and healing but the thing that remains true is that the Lord commands us to seek him first. And that's our job as believers, to do that. If we believe in his infinite wisdom and power and authority, that should be the first place that we go. And those other things should happen after that. My hope today is that you're currently, if you are currently dealing with something, whatever it might be, that you don't get bogged down in trying to make it perfect because it never will be. If you know anything about my family, then you know that we have more than just one child. <laughs> if we let the first experience dictate what would happen next, we wouldn't have child number two. And if we let the situation from child number two, which I don't have time to tell the story, which might have been worse than story number one, we would not have child number three. But we do, and it's great. Um, we experience joy. And my final thought is this. Uh, the chaos doesn't define where we're going. The kingdom does. Let's pray. Father God, 
thank you uh, for your infinite wisdom and your care and attention to our lives. And as I read these verses here this morning, I'm just reminded of the fact that if you do care about the flowers and how the flowers look, they, you do care about us. Um, and it's just a sobering reminder of your, of your grace, of your power, and of everything that you've chosen to let us experience in this life. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.